1: We've got
3: expert advice from the professionals. Nothing is off limits. Welcome to my podcast, Rach Leary Rated R. Welcome back, everybody, to another episode of Rachel Leary Rated R. How is everyone doing? It's a Monday. It's another week. I feel like this week is—I don't know. We've just had bonfire night, and now it's like—is Christmas the next thing on the on the list? Has the year really come around that quickly? Oh, it's a bit scary, isn't it? It's a bit scary. But today, it is part two of the Dr. Luan episodes of Understanding the Male Brain and the Female Brain based on her best-selling books. Last week, we were covering the male brain. If you haven't listened to that already, I definitely recommend you do before this one. Dr. Luan is a neurologist. She's an American author. She is just so insightful, kind of a little bit kooky, literally love her. She is the best. Talking to her was so much fun, and she made this kind of more scientific point of view of understanding our behavior and gender differences in it, Just, yeah, so fun. Her books are such a, like, delight to read. I've not read a book like it. The structure of it is so unique. She kind of talks about her own personal experiences with people, her own, uh, like, clients And kind of tells it like a story, but then relates it back to scientific research and knowledge. I've left both of the books linked in the description of this episode. But yeah, as I said, last week was the male episode. It's only right we follow up with her bestseller, The Female Brain. And ladies, it is just as important to understand our own behavior as well. A little disclaimer again, obviously her research, her book is based a lot on just kind of stereotypical female behavior that i'm sure as we go through this episode you'll be listening and be like damn that (laughs) that makes a lot of sense but obviously we are all different this does not apply to every single female okay um it's just sort of one take on like one sort of female brain if that makes sense not like one female brain but just a stereotypical heterosexual female brain um which again, the same with the male brain episode that was just based on, you know, a stereotypical heterosexual male brain. It's just kind of what these, these studies were based on. But yeah, I really hope you enjoy this episode. I think you're gonna absolutely love it and love Dr. Luan. Like I said, also, sorry, do I say like I said a lot? I feel like I do. But make sure you listen to part one first with the male brain, because otherwise it might not make a huge amount of sense. But anyway, enjoy. Here is the female brain with Dr. Luan. Moving on to your OG book, and area of interest, the female brain. So for this episode, I kind of want it to be similar structure to what we previously spoke about on the male brain episode, as I want to make sure we're kind of getting the biological side of things and like on those kind of topics as well. So again, going back to the hubs within the female brain that I found the most interesting and would love for you to explain a little bit more and how they kind of contribute to stereotypical female behavior. The first one, let me make sure I say this right, is the anterior cingulate cortex
4: the acc what the acc isn't that cool the anterior cingulate cortex and that's become a really you know that's become a really important area in science because it has so much to do with your decision making and your mood and you know also with depression and anxiety and a whole bunch of other things so i think it's such a cool area the acc for people to know about and it's like it's a little area in the brain that basically is um it it helps us it's kind of like a hub for weighing options making it's so I call I like to call it also the worry wart center it's where we spin you know I like to think it's like the ACC and ACC, I think like it has this little hamster wheel a worry hamster wheel and you're just like running as fast as you can in the worry hamster wheel sometimes you know how you wake up in the middle of the night if something's bothering you and that little wheel just is going and that that little your 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 brain is on the worry wheel hamster wheel in your acc that's where it's that's where it's happening. it's where the action is i feel like my acc is huge because i would call myself an
3: overthinker and i feel like a lot of girls can relate to that so you know girls it actually might just be that your acc is 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 going 100 miles per hour in your brain but another hub I want to speak on is what is the insula isn't
4: that it's a it's a really weird word I-N-S-U-L-A insula sounds like a what you call your sweaty top lip yeah yeah or something it's like I don't know it sounds like an IUD or something (laughs) insula anyway it's a really important area in the brain but it's kind of it's so cool because you know how that you get that rolling feeling in your stomach, or that gut feeling in your stomach, sometimes, or something makes you feel sort of queasy about something, or when something isn't right, you get this kind of like feeling in your stomach. That that's caused. That's because it's sending messages back and forth to the insula in your brain. So it's a, insula is really processing a lot of emotions and it tells you when something isn't right you know that it doesn't tell you exactly what it is you know how that weird don't you i hate that feeling in a way because it's like i don't quite yet know what it is that's making me feel uh, making me feel icky or upset or just like something isn't quite right and um anyway it's been shown to be larger and more active in women sometimes so it's kind of one of those areas that's obviously everybody's got it and i think males have it in in a different way but that they did this really cool study of fashion models. And, you know, fashion models, they compete a lot with each other, right? I mean, all of us girls, we compete with each other. You know, we always are like, you know, we're looking at, we're wanting to look this way or look that way. And, you know, you see somebody who looks and they, they have a better look than you and you'd like to get a little bit more of that. And there's all these, you know, there's all these petty jealousies that we, that go on in our heads all the time, right? That comes from this, this, this insula area. It's what, caught it's doing these little comparisons, it's seeing, you're testing yourself to see, to see how hot you are, or what, where are you on the hotness scale, whatever it is, you know, and so these, these fashion models, they did this, they, one of the ways they found out about this install is that they were always kind of judging themselves against other females. And they then scanned their brains and whatever, and they would show them a a picture of a hotter female than them and whatever. And they found that the insula would just trigger that gut feeling, you know, that queasy gut feeling of like something isn't quite right here or something is off. And so isn't that a cool area of the brain where it's, I call it the comparison. Compare, it's compare and despair. I swear to God, Rachel, the compare (laughs) and despair area. And uh, that's why I wanted you to explain that because I feel like every girl's
3: insula, when it's always just so common that you hear when you're thinking about, if you think your boyfriend's cheating on you or just like something and it's like, I can feel it in my gut, I can feel it in my gut. Like girl's gut instinct. It's like normally like 99% of the time. Correct. So the fact that in our brains, it generally is like that little hub is genuinely larger than it is in men, I think is really fascinating. And it makes a lot of sense. Like when we kind of associate it with like real life situations and, you know, trusting your gut in like relationships and stuff. And obviously, stereotypically, us women are known to compare ourselves a lot maybe a lot more i mean not always but you just kind of hear it within women that we're always comparing ourselves like especially when it comes to social media and and stuff like that but the final one i wanted to talk about and one that i'd actually heard of before um more sort of in um i did psychology in school and it was when it was talking about like if we did case studies about sort of remembering things um is the hippocampus so can you explain a little bit
4: about what that is. Now this part of the brain should become one of your best friends entire your life until you're dead in the grave, baby. The hippocampus is really important to you because it sounds like hippopotamus, doesn't it? Hippocampus, yep. Hippopotamus. Yep. Hippopotamus. It should be called the elephant, the, the elephant, the one that never forgets because it has to do with memory. The hippocampus has to do with like the memory. It's like also like, you know, that feeling like you, let's say that you, um you left your keys in a room, you're walking out the door. and you realize oh you forgot something and then you turn around you're gonna go find it right so the area in your brain that remembers where the hell you put this thing right um, is that is the hippocampus it remembers where things are put It remembers where things are it remembers conversations you had and it gets it also if there's a big emotional conversation or something you have it doubles triples quadruples the intensity of that memory you know, can you remember some kind of like horrible fight you had with a boyfriend or something? And you remember, you <laughs> yep. remember where you were standing, what time of day it was, maybe what you he had on, he had on, you remember like, you remember all of the details of like that event, like you remember all this shit that you wish you didn't remember, but you do. Yes. That's your hippocampus, not hippopotamus, but hippocampus. But
3: I think that's why that stood out to me. Cause I was like, girls are so like, you see the jokes and you see the memes that like, Your girl remembers exactly what you did on Thursday at twelve p.m. Whatever, and like remembers the conversation. Or you know, girls are sort of stereotypically a bit more, maybe like sentimental. Does does your hippocampus play into sort of being sort of sentimental in the set? Like remembering the little things. I feel like girls tend to tend to are known sort of more to do that when it comes to like relationships and stuff. And sometimes when when a boy does remember the little things, it's like oh my God, like that's a one in a blue moon guy that like remembers like the little details. They get a
4: gold star. They get a gold star for that, remembering the little details. And and then it's funny to actually look at it from a biological point of view to be like, well,
3: the fact that girls remember or like generically remember sort of more things and can remember specific dates, remember where you had that argument, like remember the song that you like, remember what you had on your pizza. is genuinely because the part of our brain that helps us remember is bigger and more active so it kind of makes sense it, and it actually kind of is like well maybe we should give boys a little bit of a break if that part of their brain
4: isn't you know
3: as active yeah. as ours you
4: gotta help them out listen girls you gotta help these guys <laughs> out it does doesn't it make you feel like there's some areas in which we gotta help these guys out well,
3: well that's why this kind of point of view is, is so like so interesting because I don't always look at it from that side every inch of my body always wants to like you know not give boys a break and they should know better and this which to some extent is true but when you look at it from a biological standpoint it's like well actually that part of his brain is smaller so i need to kind of maybe lower my expectations when it comes to things like absolutely. that absolutely
4: you've got to lower your expectations <laughs> and it's not it's not something i mean some of these you know guys have to lower their expectations with us because they expect us to like say stuff get to the point and not put a lot of emotional shit in there in the discussion that's what they like they like us to like because that's boom, how their boom, brain get works. to the point because it's that's what's comfortable for their brain and they have to forgive they have to learn to forgive us a little because we we're, we're going to do a meandering talk about our emotions and how this made us feel and blah 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 while they're sitting there going like oh god oh god could she please just get to the point could she please get to the point (laughs) well that actually leads us on nicely to this
3: next point i'm going back to the beginning well actually your beginning and a factor that sparked your sort of interest in writing um the female brain book and you know, kind of focusing on the neurological gender differences, uh, you wrote about that encounter you had with your professor about whether you know he had any research findings for females in the particular study you were looking at. And he stated that females aren't used due to their menstrual cycles messing up data. And I feel like even to this day, a very common excuse or response when women's behavior is, you know, overly emotional, or we're in a bad mood is to Is to ask, are you on your period? Like that's just, or like that's the the reasoning behind it. So I just wanted to like say, like, do our menstrual cycles really impact
4: our behavior that much? So you know, it'll be it'll vary from woman to woman. So let's take about eight to ten percent of women on the one whole. You know, your bell shaped curve is, you know, how it's like. There's a whole like, like the people in the middle are like the the, your average, but there's eight to ten percent of women on one end, one side of the spectrum that have a, like, for, let's talk about PMS for one. So they have really bad PMS and the three or four, that appear, they will be really irritable They'll cry. We call it in my clinic. We call it the crying over dog food commercials. So it's just like you dry, you cry over anything. It's like, you know, you're just, oh, right. you know, you're just, like, you're just burst into tears for something that's like, usually, usually wouldn't get you, you know, two, two weeks before it wouldn't, but it gets you in those few days. And then sometimes some women find that they get really angry during that period of time, or sometimes get really depressed and just feel like like you know everything is black, everything is going to shit, etc. And it causes in relationships those three or four days for those women can be really tough. There are even some women who stay home from work, you know. So it it does get to be something that we consider to be an outlier. But we look at those women, and we know eighty percent of women. They know this feeling sometimes before their period starts the day before their period starts where they'll feel like bursting into tears over some sad movie that usually wouldn't get them or you know it's just something that just grabs you in an emotional way you just become quote unquote more emotional it could be more irritable or more fragile or more whatever it is that is because that 24 hours before you start bleeding is when the, your progesterone level is like falling like a rock. It, that's what triggers the whole the, the menstrual period. This And progesterone in the brain is kind of like Valium because it hits the same brain receptors. It makes you kind of more sedated, kind of mellow, kind of whatever. So literally three or four days before you were feeling pretty, good, nothing, nothing was bothering you. Probably. And then all of a sudden it's like being in valium withdrawal. You're like, the, all the stuff that's calming the brain with the progesterone just drops like a rock. And you feel, that's why you feel like it, it's It's just the circuits, the circuits that are used to having this is like, are all of a sudden in deficit, you know? So that can, that, so that's the end of the period. Then ovulation, you know, ovulation, so we count periods by day one of bleeding is counting as day one. So day one of bleeding is day one. So between day one and then you go up to day about maybe like 12, 13, 14, where ovulation happens, the estrogen goes up, up, and up, and your estrogen is the highest, like right before ovulation. And that makes that area, the the hippocampus, not the hippopotamus, but the hippocampus, <laughs> it makes that area. It's, there's a lot of receptors of estrogen in that it's like your verbal skills and your your memory and everything is working like right on top. I always tell my female graduate students, those are the days you should take your oral exams, ladies. Those, that, those days really? schedule, because you're like at your top, you're at your best in those days for, for your verbal skills and your mental clarity. And you're, you're just really as crisp as you'll be, you know, because the estrogen is working your memory centers really well and your so verbal. So I guess that can centers. also
3: work against us in the way like, that's why we might be snappy because it's just quick responses of just, you know, like anger and stuff. Everything's really heightened.
4: Yeah, it can be. And those, oh, it's a very cool studies they've looked at on those days around ovulation days, women will wear, wear more makeup and wear more sexy clothes. Really? Yeah. What, why? Isn't, why? That, isn't that interesting? Well, because, you you know, Mother Nature will, of course, make it so you're wanted to be your sexiest and most flirtatious with males then because you get pregnant because you're going to ovulate. I was gonna say, is that why stereotypically
3: we sort of say like, you you you're horniest on your period, even though you kind of don't want to have sex. Yeah, sometimes it's messy, but like yeah,
4: exactly. So it there's can often, be the times. Yeah, different different times. Different times you can definitely have. So anyway, because girls on the pill, when you're, if you're on the pill or if you're one of those IUDs that has a uh, hormones in it. They, they, you won't have that. You don't have that kind of a natural cycle. So right. that's you know, and it's, which some women don't want to have that just cycle because it's it's messing it's messing with them too much.
3: So our menstrual cycle really does affect sort of like all. Oh, aspects of our behavior and different I think I I feel like everyone's had that moment like you said when you're watching something and you're crying and you don't usually cry or you know your friend says something to you and it's struck you the wrong way and you react a certain way and then the next day on your period and you're like oh
4: So so that's so
3: that's why I, I get so that
4: when the, when the female brain book came out, I got this call from this, like this coding engineer guy. And he says, look, I, I want to work with you to make this app for men. And I said, "He's and he said, I want to make a PMS app. I want to make a menstrual cycle app for men so they can track, <laughs> track their girlfriends cycles. And so they'll know, and you know, that was, that was way back. There weren't any of those then, not at all. There was none of these, this was back, you know, whatever. And so, but it's so cool. That's like, they, I, 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 I took it. I took offense to it, you know. I realized now it was sort of—it was really cool, and he That's was not so coming. funny. He was not coming from a bad place at all. But you, well, know, you get like, like an alert. An an okay, today, today is horny. Today is two days before today. Today, tomorrow, and the next day are your get lucky days, guys. So get ready. You know, bring the chocolates and the flowers out, whatever. go Take her to dinner, whatever. These are your get lucky right. days. And then I, at the end of the period, like okay, duck and cover, dude. Duck and cover. <laughs>
3: Uh, why do I feel like that would actually be really beneficial for some people but the fact that it, that's even was considered a thing that's that's funny maybe that Guys, should be a thing I think men would benefit from that I think girls we might be a bit offended to be like can't you just be considerate like all of the time but actually if they low-key got an alert to be like Sarah is heightened like emotions may be heightened today and then and then it, it would be like, he's reading your mind, which I feel is what we kind of like all secretly want is we just want, men to, under- to understand
4: without us having to say anything. So maybe exactly. if could do it, that I would know. be, that would be good. I can remember an example That's Like we women want them, we want them to be mind readers. And I remember my husband's like, we, we go with this, it's like, there was one time when the window was open in the bedroom and it's closest to my husband's side of the bed. And so I said, oh, Connie, do you think it's a little cold in here? Is what I said. And he says, oh, yeah, no, maybe a little bit, whatever. What I wanted him to do was to shut the window. <laughs> but he sa- then I said to him later, he says, but you didn't tell me to shut the window. It was just a question. I, I was- expected him to, to, to operate on, like, if take she's called, take the initiative to shut the window. But it's like, it's unrealistic of me to. To have him read my mind to know what I want, so you know, we we do that. It's like I think we girls do that so much. It would be yeah, this PMS app for guys, you know, it'd be like a weather report, right? It'd be like a weather report, right, for your, but it's it's, it's a loving in some kind of quirky way it's kind of a it would be kind of a loving they're just
3: trying to understand and I and that literally is kind of what this whole episode is about trying to understand the female brain so as the same as the male brain book you section off the book into the different developmental stages of the female brain and again the chapter I wanted to focus on is the love and Trust, I like how you did the trust um, in this one chapter. And there's a part where you mention for men and women, initial calculations about romance are unconscious and very different. In short term couplings, men are chasers and women are choosers. So can you explain sort
4: of what you mean by that and which parts of the brain kind of determine these characteristics? So, you know, the males being the chasers is that thing where, you know, Mother Nature has all the testosterone in the male brain. All that area that's bigger for searching out fertile females and mating with them is on full blast, right? So that's the chaser part. And then we women are the choosers in that typically, you know, and that happens in lots of animal species. It's like a woman that just, you know, a female that doesn't want to mate with the, with, you know, a male will just like kick him to the side, kick him to the side with her hind feet or whatever, you know, something like that. And we have our versions of doing that. We are not quite as rude as that. But anyway, um, you know, if we don't, if we don't want to mate with a guy, we, you know, we will be, uh, uh, and if we do, you know, we will, we will pick him. So our, no, and our uh, desire to pick the best mate. See, women, women choose actually in that in that chapter. I also about the love and trust chapter. I talk about you know the types of guys that women will choose to have sex with, and sometimes be like more bad boys or that kind of that kind of guy who's like kind of a more alpha male bad guy. But we may not choose to mate with him for you know we may not choose him as a partner. We may choose a guy who's. Um, a little bit more low key and just more reliable. We really, women, you know, women really want reliability in a guy. I don't think guys understand that, but what we really want is reliability. So they'll choose the different types to go have a fling, a a side fling with the bad boy and, um, but not choose him to, he's not the marrying type. (laughs) Yeah. I feel like we're definitely, well, most girls obviously when when we
3: say these things obviously it doesn't apply to every single woman and it didn't it doesn't apply to every single man but man but I feel like women that sort of quote sort of reminded me of um reminded me of a few things it kind of made me think of maybe women kind of prefer quality over quantity
4: whereas men stereotypically (laughs) prefer quantity over quality yeah they'll dive deep as they say for just having sex with somebody you know or we all know like there's this kind of, you know, there's these the, the girls to have the guys look at the girls to have sex with versus the girls to actually um make have a long term relationship with are different from guys' point of view, just like they are from ours. So, you know, I think we shouldn't be so offended by that because it's just it's just it's kind of mother nature. It's like we choose we women choose we're the choosers too. We choose the guys that we want. And they they, you know, they choose us to, they choose women who to, to have sex with versus those that they want to. And we take offense at that. It's a very, I mean, I still it just say, just saying that out loud makes me kind of have the heebie jeebies because <laughs> it's like, you know, it's not, it's, it's just not, you know, it's not a very nice experience to be one of those girls who gets up, ends up being used just for sex.
3: Yeah. But I it also kind of made me think of going back to, we spoke about this on the male brain episode, the kind of the, the slut shaming comment I feel like you always see and I'm just going to speak from a very kind of what's the word I'm trying to say stereotypical thing that you you see where it's like an attractive woman let's and she, maybe she's wearing uh like a little less clothing or like just being being actually do you know what just being confident within herself let's phrase it like that and then I'm just I'm do you know what make.
2: Go to coins.com slash style for free shipping and 365-day returns.
3: Give me think of this. It's TikTok. So like, and then you see and then you go to the comments, and all the like negative comments are from men that you may not. I don't want to say ugly men, but I wanna say men that you think could never get a girl. They like would that. never have a chance. They would yeah, never have that a chance. Yeah, that type of thing. And it's like why they think they're opinion and comments are so like impactful like when I just read that about you know men being chasers but women being choosers it it was sort of like I don't know why I made that correlation but it just made me think of those kind of situations how like most women could pick like whoever they want and like would get them whereas you know men it's a it's a lot of chase for them to be able to sort of get, get what they want do you see what i mean i'm not really sure how yeah. it correlated but it, it made me think of that definitely yeah and mean in, in terms of the slut shaming slut shaming thing and you also mentioned that lessons men and women learn on love and trust and lust are deeply encoded in our brains as neurological love circuits from the moment we're born activated at puberty and i just absolutely loved that term of neurological love circuits i feel like it sounds so like beautifully scientific so can you elaborate on <laughs> what they actually are and how
4: they impact our you know romantic decisions so you know our, what i meant by the, the neurological love circuits is like you know you've, we've all heard of the love hormone right oxytocin Yes, like it's like not oxycontin, but oxytocin. <laughs> it sounds close, but uh, oxytocin is this. It, when you give a hug to somebody, a twenty-second hug will release like floods of oxytocin in females. You know that's why I said you d- don't let a guy hug you unless you want to trust him. Why that makes maybe a maybe a quick hug and pick, but not. Don't, not, don't go for a 20 second hug with a guy that unless you're planning on trusting him because you know you'll you'll lose your you'll lose your bearings <laughs> re- it'll release your oxytocin and they find that 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 hugs and stuff reduce that women's that reduces your blood pressure and everything so it really relaxes you but it also makes you feel attachment it's what makes it's part of what makes mothers feel attached to babies. so remember all the love circuits the, the love circuits and the maternal love circuits the mothering circuits they're all kind of based on the same neurological circuits in our brain and which is very efficient right their turn mother nature made it so that you know if you turn on the love circuits towards a partner finding a partner you know you're going to take them into your life and and care for them you know, as much as you will for, for an infant. And we kind of, those circuits are all the same with that, that attachment and that taking care of the other person and being reliable to nurture them. Those are the oxy, that's the oxytocin hormone. So those are the, those are the love circuits. And of course, males have them too. We males. So the time that males release a lot of oxytocin during orgasm. Right. I was,
3: I was literally going to say, do, do, do females release, a lot of oxytocin during sex which is why just stereotypically it's like oh I'm not gonna like girls catch feelings when you sleep with them type thing that stereotype whereas when it's funny that you just say that men release the most oxytocin when they like have an orgasm because I think stereotypically that you would associate that's when men sort of say things that they may not have meant in that moment and it's that like it's it's the quite like a I don't know if you've heard the term of like post not clarity like have you have you heard yeah, it, like, post-nuptial,
4: post nuptial <laughs> post post coital with post post coital like whatever like I love you darling or you're yeah, so I feel like or, you know those kinds so of things many... just come out of their mouth like yes I feel like so
3: many people can relate to a moment like when you when you're like really just like have like yeah you're having sex with someone and in that moment you, you feel the urge to say like I love you but then afterwards you're a bit like um
4: not so much not so much <laughs> I, don't <know. laughs>
3: I don't know why I said that also is that all based on sort of the increase of o- oxy oxytocin oxytocin so
4: and then so oxytocin is a very cool very cool hormone so um the oxytocin is what's Gets stimulated to squeeze the baby out. It, it causes the uterus to squeeze, but it also causes the orgasm. When you that whole squeezing feeling you get from the orgasm, right? And okay. in males, in males, it's that squeezing that they need to do to ejaculate. So that it's it, it makes oxytocin is a hormone that makes muscles squeeze like that. It also squeezes out the breast milk if you're breastfeeding. So it's like it's a it's the hormone that's like so. It's interesting. It's used for it's used for some real biological things but it also floods the whole neurobiological love circuits in your brain too. So it's, it's like doing double time, you know, it's doing all this kind of incredible squeezing, but also is making you have all kinds of, emo- of like attachment and love emotions. So,
1: but
3: that's not permanent, is it? It's like, it's a, just like a, a burst no. of, of it and then it can retract sort of if that means. is that kind of what it is? Like, so we release all of this, but then it doesn't, necessarily
4: stay it so that's I think that's why you're saying you're as you're correct you're correctly identifying Rachel that it's going kind to of be can kind of be temporary I mean you say it in the moment and you feel it intensely at the moment but think about your whole body is being bathed by all of this oxytocin hormone your squeeze the orgasm is squeezing and the guy is sque- you know whatever it's like all this stuff and it's also in uh, it's not always in synchrony, but it's close. The timing is sort of close. <laughs> yeah. The time and so you get this yeah, you get this kind of a love cloud, a post a postcoital love cloud. But a lot of guys a lot of guys fall right to sleep. They have a postcoital, they they just like go they just instantly go to sleep.
3: Yeah. I think that's it's nice to look at that from like, well, not nice, but it's interesting to look at that from a, a biological standpoint as to why that happens and why that that is so common. So if you've if you found yourself saying I love you, but then you didn't actually mean it, it blame the oxytocin. Just say, I'm sorry. Say was-
4: I was, you could call I have a phrase, but you're in a hormonal haze, right? A hormonal haze. I
3: love that. Um, Right, well, so for the final part of this female brain segment and for this whole kind of two-part episode, I asked my followers to send in their why do I do this behavior examples that they would love to get your kind of like scientific, neurological opinion and thought process on. And I think understanding our own behavior is hugely important for like self-growth and development, especially understanding it from like a more physical uh, perspective. So our first one is somebody said, Why do I do this when men or like girls in general, when men show us red flags or give us reasons to walk away, why do we still focus on the good parts, even when we acknowledge these bad parts? And why is it so hard to walk away and put an end to things? Is this something in
4: the female brain? Well, it's biological, like we're talking about, right? You're so bonded, it's this this whole oxytocin thing, you know how it is with the, someone that you love, when they give you, a, even if you're not getting along with them or whatever, or you're ready to walk out of them, whatever, they, if they give you a hug or something, you feel like, well, maybe maybe I shouldn't leave, right? Or maybe this, or maybe there's still some hope, I mean, it's just, it's, it's, it's painful. It's like, it's like, it's like pulling, it's like pulling something, pull just like, it's like pulling something out of your heart. The other person, see what you, what, what happens also, Rachel, when we fall in love with somebody is we, it's almost like we have the tent, the tent of our own self. You know, we open up the tent of our own self to let somebody else into that tent of the tent of me. I call it the tent of me in the new book I just wrote, but it's like the tent of me. You take that other person in, but if you're gonna kick them out because it's not you don't you're not liking being in that tent of me with this other guy with this guy who needs to get at but you still feels it feels comfortable and it feels safe and this just this so much neurobiological history with that person. So it's gonna be really freaking hard for a while. It's like going into a like going into a withdrawal from a drug. You're going into a hormonal withdrawal. Right. Cause you've obviously formed that connection. So even when
3: they're, yeah, when they're showing these like red flag behaviors and stuff, like what is, is it's something more in females that we're just sort of like more inclined
4: to forgive. Is we that- just want to, we're so, we're so bonded. We're sort of super bonded in a, almost a We're again, we're in that hormonal haze. We're in that hormonal, we're in that hormonal haze where You know we really want that drug we really want that the drug that the other person is for us you know we have really you know brought them inside the tent of me into into our own you know they know all of our family they know our friends they know it's like it's it's, it's all this kind of stuff for us that just feels like um it feels horrible. It feels like you're going to go into withdrawal. So you'll, you, you know, a lot of women at least forgive a guy three times before they finally leave him. Right. Or I feel more. Like, like biologically, we must obviously be
3: more, you know, our attachments are stronger. Like, for example, when we give birth to children, we always, you always hear people say about there's nothing stronger than a love between like a mother and child in most cases. I feel like, but yeah, biologically, we just
4: form these like stronger, hard and fast, hard yeah. and fast bonds that we've so Wouldn't it be nice if we could, t- if you want to break up with the guy, whatever you need to get them out of your system, that you could just wish that'd be nice. If you could take this certain drug for three days and it would yeah. be like over. <laughs> yeah. I mean, do you know, what I was thinking when you referred to the thing
3: about children, I would love to like see, because you know, this is so random. And I don't know what I just thought of it just now, you know, like seahorses carry the males are the ones that carry the babies I would love to look at a male seahorse brain and see if it's like kind of similar to more of a female brain when it comes to like these kind of like attachments and like relationships and stuff and if because like carrying a child you form that like really intense special bond so when actually a, a physical male is carrying the child I wonder if their brain like anatomy is, is so we do similar. know for
4: example males that male human males that carry the babies around and do a lot of the caretaking of the the baby whatever they you scan their brains before they have children and you play cries crying of babies and that doesn't their brain doesn't respond much, but after they've been carrying and caring for the child and changing the diaper, the nappies and, you know, all that kind of stuff, they've been doing that up the the skin to skin care of the baby. Their brains will then respond more like a female to hearing a baby cry in this brain scanner. Right. I see. So you're right. So you're already right, Rachel. Yeah, you're right. Ah, I'm, I'm, I'm learning. I'm learning.
3: So another one somebody said is, and I feel like this actually goes back to And we kind of may have sort of already answered it going back to the insular hub in our brain. Somebody said, and I actually got this a lot, is that why am I so insecure? I'm the happiest. I'm in the happiest relationship I've ever been. And my boyfriend makes me feel so loved and says and does all of the right things. But why am I constantly paranoid? I'm not good enough. And one day he'll get bored of me and find someone better and leave me. Like, why am I already self-sabotaging so I, I, we sort of already spoke about that with the it's NCL. That,
4: yeah, and the Worrywart Center, the ACC, the Worrywart. She's got this hamster wheel so going maybe, around in her mind. And yeah. also remember, there's something to know about the brain, the human brain. We have this Velcro. We have Velcro. Do you know what Velcro is? is it, Rachel, is it called the same thing? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Velcro, yeah. Velcro. The, Velcro, the, the, so. stick, the, the sticky the stuff. sticky stuff. So the, the, the brain has Velcro for negative thoughts and negative possibilities and negative scenarios in the future. That's, it, it has Velcro for that. And, you know, it also has Teflon for positive stuff. So she's just like grabbing all the possible negative scenarios because it matters her it matters so much that relationship matters so much to her that part of her brain is saying oh you know what a tragedy and a disaster if i lost it you know it's always thinking of loss rather than being in the here and now and just enjoying it for now she's having the brain is she's got all this velcro we we all have it in our brains and that's why they say that the best way to get rid of that is every night before you go to bed You'd, you'd write every night you go to bed, write a gratitude list for the 20 top things you're grateful for. That's
3: a good idea. So I guess maybe her ACC and her insula is just a bit more overactive and wor- working more. Your it's, worries she's, or she's is- hyperactive
4: because she cares she cares so much, you know, she, her whole circuitry is so like bonded and it feels like such, she's so frightened. And it's, it's basically about a fear. It's she's, she's thinking fear, fearfully, like what it would be, how, how she would feel so bereft and, you know, Yeah, well, you but,
3: know, I think, I think it's good that she is aware that she is doing that. Cause I think the first sort of start awareness, in, yeah, awareness. awareness is just being aware. Cause if you know that you're doing it and, you know, we're sort of saying there are specific brains, like that make you worry and like your gut feeling and all of that. And, you know, yours just might be a little bit more in overdrive. That's a good sort of, sort of thing to maybe help put you at ease. Just knowing that it's just a part of your brain. That's a little bit overactive. Absolutely.
4: Rachel. And to first, to, to also accept that that's how you are and to start thinking about, okay, this is how I am. I'm accepting it, but I want to find some antidotes to it because it's making me miserable. Right. And you don't
3: obviously want to sabotage your relationships, but, the final one I'm going to end on is not about relationships. Um, it, it was something different. I thought, you know what? I, I actually get like this. Um, so I'd love to hear if, if it's like something like in the brain that causes this. But yeah, finally, someone said, "Why do I do this? Sometimes I know I have things to do, and I need to start doing them or hurry up. And it's like I just freeze. I physically." Can't move. I just keep sitting there and standing there thinking, should I be doing something? And just kind of like watching the time pass. I'm often late to things because of this. I want to know why I do it and how I can stop doing it. I mean, it sounds like she just gets quite overwhelmed. And I can relate to that because when I get overwhelmed, I shut down. And like my mum's experienced it firsthand. She'll be like telling me all of these things or like saying all of these things I have to do. Or if I've got a lot of work things on, like, is there something in our brain that is like, a, I feel like I specifically have a hub that is just procrastination. It just ble- like goes off like all of the time. So
4: it's gr- it's, it's a great question because pro- she's got, the, you know, a, the procrastination, the sh- there's, this, there's this thing called the freeze, it's a freeze syndrome and it's related to stress. So the tr- you know, the stress system goes to your adrenal glands. And when your brain feels stressed and overwhelmed or just like, like you're burnt out, you're just yeah. stressed and burnt out, and you're but just before like, even doing any of it, before doing anything, before doing anything, and not even not even engaging in it is because your brain, part of your brain, is saying, digging their heels in. Is your brain saying, no, no, I need for you to take me seriously. Something else, you needs that you need something else. It tells you that you need something else, and that you're you're forcing yourself to run over something else that you need for yourself. So it's really it's kind of it's a bit threatening because lots of us have stuff we don't have any we got it you know we have to do certain things if we want to keep our job if we want to keep our relationship whatever you know i mean there's but this procrastination thing is it's a signal it's a signal in your brain that's saying i need for you to take me seriously hello i need for you to take me seriously about giving me some of the other things that i really want because this other thing that i'm feeling like i have to do is just like, it's just fucking me up. You know, I just got to, you know, you've got to, you got to. So some, some, you got to make a deal with yourself. Like, okay, I'll do, I'll, st- I'll start and I will do just only, I put a timer on. When that happens to me, I put a timer on for 45 minutes. And I say, I'm going to do this thing for only 45 minutes. And when this timer goes off, I'm going to stop and do the other things that I want or whatever I do. It's only going to be, it's only going to be for 45 minutes. I'll put the that's, timer on, 45 minutes, that's it. That's so funny that you say that because I was
3: literally going to say, because I relate to this girl so much, like if I am just bombarded with so many things and it's like you don't even know where to start, the one thing that I found really helps is writing a list because that just like, that's something that I'll be doing for like five minutes it's like a distraction but I'm I'm still focusing on what I'm doing but I'm like writing a list and then I'm like oh like I can't wait to like tick that off the list and that off the list and kind of like when I I'm quite a visual person so to actually like write it down puts me at ease and like so like sort of helps me relax a little bit because I'm looking at it it's not just all of these things in my head going around being like oh my god i got to do this i to do that I'm to do this and I, I need to like look at what I have to do and then yeah it's funny that you say about the timers because I set a timer for like literally everything that I do I'll be like right because it's like a goal I like setting myself mini goals throughout the day cuz I feel like that boosts my endorphins when I when I've completed that goal I've done it within the time frame or or something like that or if I look at the clock and say it's like 10 52 i'll be like right i'm gonna do this for another eight minutes and like i've got to like you know like set like specific like even times for myself i explained that to one of my friends once and they were like what like i just get up and do it and i'm like oh my god my brain doesn't work like that i've got to like i I need i need something else
4: i know that's it's it's, i learned that someone is for writer people use it for writer's block a lot because what you'll say is like, okay, I'm going to do, I'm going to do three sessions in a day. I'm gonna do a 45 and then in the morning and then do two 30 minutes in the afternoon, just do 45, 30 and 30. That's it. Blah. You know? And I figure, gosh, wow, I could do that, you know? And so I'll set the timer and I'll just sit down. I don't even know sometimes what I'm going to do or write or what I'm going to read. I'm just going to sit down for 45 minutes, turn the timer on and try and work on my project. And when the timer goes off, then I can, I sometimes I stay there because I'm really into it, you know. I'm not, but, but sometimes, but it, it was it somehow, just initiating it gets it. me started, initiates yeah. it because I don't feel like I'm stuck with it for the whole frigging day.
3: Well, I feel like we both have sort of absolutely not similar jobs, but when you said about like, obviously, your more creative side of the job, you're like being a writer and an author and stuff, obviously, I have a, uh, creative job in the sense of creating content and I find I get kind of creative blocks a lot so maybe the fact that our brains like work the same way that makes a lot of sense so to the girl that sent that in if you've got maybe slightly more of a creative job that requires you to, you know come up with a lot ideas and like that a lot try lists and try timers and try sort of adding a little bit of structure to The chaos that's in your brain by sort of writing it down, or, you know, like like I said, I have to write it down or physically look at it, or maybe like, I think um, it's like a a snack. It's like taking,
4: it's like having a little, just make it so it's little snacks. You do little snacks of work. Like, I'm just going to do a little snack of work. I'm just going to do a small snacks of work. I'm just snacks of work. I love that. Well, Dr. Luan, what an absolute (laughs) pleasure
3: it was to speak to you. I feel like I learned so much especially from a perspective that I don't really know a lot about and, and I like to challenge my brain and sort of look at things from a different points of view and I think that's a, a very important life skill for everyone to sort of look at things from other perspectives and other points of view and just you know always wanting
4: to build on your knowledge on things I think is is crucial sometimes it can give you some keys keys to the castle for your your life you know well like I said
3: a lot of people I think um when it comes to explaining behavior we only really look at the social factors and the environmental factors and that's kind of like not necessarily the easier option but it definitely is one that an everyday person has access to so to have you on and sort of make and talk about things from a more biological standpoint and like neurological standpoint I think is really really fascinating and for anyone who's listening I have linked I will I will have links Luann's books down below and it's honestly such a fascinating read the format makes it so relatable yeah informative at the same time and I really really recommend that you guys check them out um, if you're in the market for something new to read it just yeah I felt I was going through the books and I just felt really like enlightened and it made me want to like talk about it with other people and just be like oh my god did you know this like like the different side of things so yeah thank you so much for coming on and sharing your knowledge with us all
4: thank you rachel and i have one thing to say to all your female listeners that like i hope you find your blue throat
3: yes i hope everyone (laughs) finds their blue throat too i just love her honestly And another reason why it probably would have made more sense to listen to the male brain before this one, because you might not know what a blue throat is. But I really hope you guys enjoyed this two-part series with Dr. Luan just breaking down the female brain and the male brain. As I said at the beginning of the episode and at the end of this episode, both of her books are linked in the description bar down below. And I really, really recommend checking them out. Honestly, I've not read a book like it. The structure is just it just makes it so interesting it's like a science lesson in a book mixed with maybe like a romantic novel or like in one yeah it, it i just it's one of those books that you just want to tell your mates about and be like i was reading this book the other day and i learned this, this and this and you know and just apply it to your real life Honestly, I love them. So make sure you go and check them out. Next week, we have a sexual health doctor on. We have Dr. Leah on, which I'm very, very excited for. Um, I feel like it was only right to do an episode all about sexual health with a doctor. So make sure you are following the Rated R podcast on Instagram uh, so you know when to get involved. For you to submit your questions in, your dilemmas in to a professional all about sexual health. Guys, the next episode, it might be the last one of this season. I only planned to do seven episodes for season one and then to reboot things in the new year as November and December for everyone is just so busy and crazy. I know my schedule's busy. I'm sure my guests' schedules will be super busy with just work and Christmas and spending time with family. So yeah, next week might be the last one of season one which is crazy. Thank you so much for all of the support so far. Um, And I'll definitely next week be giving you guys the opportunity to submit your episode suggestions for season two. Who do we want to see? What kind of people do we want on? Let me know. But until then, I will see you next Monday, guys. Bye.
0: Selling a little? because businesses that grow grow with shopify get a one dollar per month trial period at shopify.com work shopify.com work imagine the softest sheets you've ever felt now imagine them getting even softer over time